I want you to take your Bible, turn with me to Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 50, Genesis chapter 50. We're going to talk about tonight about when God uses evil for good, when he uses evil for good. You say, I ain't never heard nothing like that in my life. Well, that's, praise God, I'm glad you're here tonight. Anybody got any junk going on in your life that you don't like right now? Bingo, got the right crowd here then. We're going to talk about when junk happens in your life, when bad things happen and junk happens. And ain't he big enough to stop this stuff? How come he don't do it? All right, we're going to look in tonight at when he allows evil and uses it in our lives for good. We're going to read one verse out of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. This was a man that it must have been real important because the Bible gives him 30 some chapters just about his life. And this was a guy that was ordained by God to be used to help a lot of people. But you talk about junk happening in his life. Man, his family stabbed him in the back, turned against him. He was taken from his homeland. He, he went to prison because a huzzy, you know what a huzzy is? This, this huzzy woman lied about him, said he lied about him sexually assaulting her. He never touched her. He ran from her. And he got thrown in prison. Just junk after junk after junk happened in his life. But he, he, he believed and in the end, sure enough, this guy... He really saved the world. The world was going to starve to death, but he saved it. God used him greatly. And when it was all said and done, all the garbage in his life and all, and he didn't do anything wrong. This is one of the three guys in the Bible you find nothing wrong with. Daniel was one of the other ones. He did nothing wrong, but you talk about junk piling on his head over and over. He did nothing wrong and mess kept, people kept coming down on him and lying about him and stabbing him and turning against him and when it was all said and done, he makes one of the greatest statements in the Bible in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, when he says this, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. One of the greatest verses in the Bible and one of the greatest truths in the Bible that says this, what you meant for evil, God used for good. The evil that's been in my life, God uses it for good. Now listen, that's not just him. This is all of us. And we're going to look tonight at uh, how he uses evil and allows evil to come into our lives and then uses it for good. And uh, I want you to come out here tonight thinking like people in the Bible find out saying, bring it on. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Stick in your ear, whatever, whatever your thing is. I want you to know what's going on in your life, why this junk happens. We're going to look at three examples in the Bible, and this is the Father speaking to us. First, we're going to look at is Simon when he was sifted by Satan. Simon was sifted by Satan in his life. I want you to see that with me. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And Luke chapter 22 is, uh, we're right at the end of Jesus' journey on the earth here. He's fixing to be crucified. He's fixing to go back to glory. And, uh, he, he tells all the guy, he's been together with three guys, 12 guys for three years now. They've eaten together. They've camped together. They've sat around campfires. He's trained them. They're excited. All of a sudden he tells them, I'm fixing to leave. And they were stunned. They had no idea. They thought their rest of their lives would be committed to this man. And he was going to build a great kingdom. Well, he was, but not the kind they thought. All of a sudden he tells they're having dinner. He says, I'm fixing to leave. I'm fixing to go. And they're just devastated. And then on top of that, after telling them, I'm fixing to leave you, not only they, I'm fixing to get killed. I'm going to get killed. They, you know, that this is the last supper where he took the bread and all that. They're just, their world is rocked. And then he turns to Simon after saying it. Watch what he says to him. In Luke 22, 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. 
bad enough that you leaving me and you telling me that Satan has asked for me? What do you think that means? Satan has asked for you. Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. Verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But Simon said, did Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I'm going to tell you something. He meant it too. He said, if I die following you, I die following you. And watch what Jesus told him, verse 44. He said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day, tonight, before three times you tell people you never even met me before. He, he is just, it, this hit him like a Mack truck. You tell me you're leaving. You tell me Satan's fixing to take my life. You tell me I'm fixing to turn my back on you. He, he's just rocked. All right, this was his sifting by Satan. And, uh, you know, if Jesus was saying to me, Satan has asked for permission to sift you, I'd, I'd say, would you tell him? <laughs> Hope you said no. Obviously, he told him, go ahead. All right, Simon's sifting by Satan. <clears throat> Let me throw this in about Simon. I love Simon. Let me tell you why. Would you pick a redneck, ignorant, backwards truck driving, not truck, I don't know where that came from. I'm sorry, fisherman commercial fisherman who was rough around the edges, couldn't stop cussing, even after being trained. Would you pick him to lead the world in the greatest venture in world history? God did. I love 1 Corinthians 1 that says this. Look at the people God calls, brethren. Not many rich, not many powerful, not many noble. God calls the foolish, the weak, the nobodies, the struggling. I like that verse. He just, there's just something about him. He liked to choose the people nobody else would choose. Simon's one of the greatest examples. All right. What does sifting mean? Now, we don't sift today. Today, we do it with combines. But in that day, they sifted. You cut your wheat. You get it in a big pile there on your farm. And, uh, you know, wheat, you bring the wheat in. There's, wheat is used for making bread. But there's junk in it. You know, when your harvest has got junk in it, the junk's called, it's what the junk's called, chaff. And that junk's useless. You can't make, and if you mix it in there, it'll ruin the bread. So you got to get the chaff, the junk out of the good wheat and wheat germs. You got to do that. Well, the way that we do it today by mechanical, back then they did it with sifting. And you had this huge thing, look like a pitchfork, long handle, and they, you had to do it on a real windy day. And they'd take it, they'd stick it in the wheat and you threw it up in the air. And as it came back down, wheat is heavier than the junk. So the wind would blow through and blow the chaff out, the junk out, and the good wheat would fall back down. And you do that over and over. You keep pitching it in there. It's called sifting. Till after a while, you realize there's no junk left in this wheat. Now it's good for something. All right. Now he told, he told Simon, said, Satan's going to sift you. Which tells me Simon had some good stuff in him. Also tells me he had some junk in him. Anybody else you know like that? All right, he had some good stuff in him. He had some junk in him. Look, all of us do. All of us have got, listen, you say, ain't nothing good in me. You listen to me. Second Corinthians 4, 7. We have the treasure in this earthen vessel. There's a treasure in you. There's some, God's put something in you. His spirit's in there. He has given you gifts. There is good in you. But can I get a witness? I got some junk in me too. All right. Sifting is what gets the junk out so the good can be used like that. And, uh, I want to, I want to, I want to point something out to you. Now, let me help you with the language. He said, Satan has asked, let's just read that verse again. Verse 31, the Lord said, Simon, uh, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Satan did not ask to sift him as wheat. Satan didn't want to help this boy. 
Satan has asked for you. Tell me what Satan wanted to do to him. Was John 10, 10 said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan had to ask permission. He said, I'm going to destroy him. But what do you see in there? But he's not going to destroy you. He's going to actually serve my purposes. He's going to sift you like wheat. And obviously by his answer, Jesus told him, go ahead and take him. You grab hold of his life and take him. He's going to sift you like wheat and uh, to perfect him. But let me, let me show you something neat about this. Did you notice in there, Satan could not touch God's child until he asked God to do it. Let it be known. Ain't no evil going to befall you until he gets permission from heaven. But now let me throw this in here too. You can give him permission. How do we give Satan permission to come into our homes and lives? It's called sin. When we rebel against God, we, we sign off and say, do whatever you want to him. But as long as he who abides under the shadow of the almighty shall dwell under his wing. If in your heart, you just say, I just, I don't want sin in my life. I want to honor you. There ain't nothing can touch you unless he gives it permission. He had to ask permission to do anything in this man's life. And he got permission. And uh, he said, he said, say, I've given you to Satan. He thinks he's going to get to destroy you. I'm going to use his mess to perfect you. I'm going to use it to sift you. And I'm going to use it to, to bless you with. Now, let me, my buddy, Simon, he had wheat in you. What was Simon's wheat? He had some good stuff in him. That's the reason God chose him. What, was the, what were some of the good things in this man? Of course, if you read his life, his books, uh, this man flat loved Jesus. He, the great thing about him was he loved, and the greatest thing anybody can have is not a gift, it's not talent, it's not education, it is love for Jesus. This man flat loved Jesus. And when he said, I will die with you for you, he meant it. He was ready. He's a young man. He's just in his 20s. But he's ready to lay down his life because he loves this man so much. The reason he loved him so much, Simon had never been loved by anybody like Jesus loved him. We love him not because we're supposed to. We love him because he first loved us. And he, he loved Jesus passionately. I mean, he was crazy about Jesus. Not only that, he had this bold personality and he was absolutely fearless. This is the man who in just a night or two, he by himself and one small sword took on the whole Roman army. You talk about fearless. You know, he, he cut the guy's head off. I think he was trying to cut his neck off. And Jesus healed him and said, put your knife up, put your sword up. He was absolutely fearless. And God uses that great personality, the boldness and the confidence that he has. And also he had an ability to speak. He had the ability to lead. He was a natural leader. When he walked in, he just took over. So this guy got a lot of good stuff in him. Plus, he, this guy was like granite. He was, when he put his hand to the plow, he didn't quit. He, he was determined. And so there's a lot of good stuff in him but he had some chaff in him too. What was the major chaff in him? Does anybody know? What does the Bible teach was the big problem that was standing in the way of him and everything going right? Uh, self-confidence. He was cocky. And uh, he was cocky. He was self-confident. And uh, that, that was a problem. And Jesus said, I got to get the self-confidence out of you and the cockiness and you thinking you can do all this. I got to get that out of you. There's good stuff in there and I'm going to use that good, but we got to get the junk out first. Some of you can't cook the bread till you get the junk out of it. Can't feed people with the bread till you get the junk out. And that's all of us. So Satan asked permission to sift him like wheat, get the junk out of him. All right. <clears throat> you, you know what happened. What Jesus said came to pass. Imagine that. Jesus told the truth. Jesus and Simon said, I, I, and in another place in the Bible, when it tells this, after Jesus said, tonight you'll deny me three times, it says, Simon said, no, no, sir. He told God, you're wrong. So we got some more stuff we got to get out of him, don't we? <laughs> All right, 
right after this, they arrested Jesus, took him to the, uh, the, the little area that night where he was in the courtyard. Simon's standing there and he's warming himself by the fire watching because like he wasn't in the courtyard. He was out of it. They were talking, they were trying Jesus and he's watching to see what's going on. And a young girl said to him, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he said, no, I never met the man. What happened to Mr. I'll die for you? Satan, the power of Satan got on him and the fear and the intimidation got on him. And he, and he went, he just moved over and somebody else said, uh, I, I believe you were with him. He said, I, I wasn't with him. And then the third time another one said, you got the same accent that guy does. You're one of his. And the Bible said he flew into a cussing fit. He said, I've never met that man in my life. As soon as he shut his mouth, the rooster crowed. And the Bible said, Jesus turned and looked at him. And, and here's this man who, I mean, he, he was tough. Ain't no doubt this man was tough. But he found out, my tough ain't enough when it comes up against the demonic. And the powers of hell broke him in half right there. Did it, did it break his heart with what he did? The Bible said Jesus looked at him and Simon went out and wept bitterly. And he's going, where's my confidence? Well, see, he'd been running in self-confidence up to now. And th this is also called breaking in the Bible. It broke him in his own strength. Now, did God do this to ruin him? He did it to perfect him. Well, the, listen, education will never top dependency on God. And he got him to that point where he was just broken. And uh, let me ask you, now see, Satan's over. He, guess what Satan's doing while all this is going on? <laughs> he's laughing at him. Yes, sir, there's your number one friend right there. And he's over there cussing you. His plan was working pretty good, wasn't it? Can I ask you a question if you know the scripture? Did Satan's plan backfire? Guess what? This is my heavenly father's specialty to take what you meant for evil and use it for good to help people. By the way, he, he, Satan right here, he's just three days from the greatest backfire of his life. His miserable, pathetic, snotty-nosed, greasy little life. He's just three days from the biggest backfire of his life. He had one obstacle between him and world dominion. What was it? the son of God come down to earth and Jesus stood between him and world dominion. And he, his, it was his scheme. If I can get the religious people to turn against him and get them in bed with the government. And if they can kill this guy, I can run the world. So he did it. He got in the heads of the preachers and he got in the heads of the governor and he killed the man, put him in the grave and they're celebrating. I own the world. Now he's out of the way. For three days, hell had a tremendous party down there. They was drinking that old cheap Boone's Farm mess and hollering, go-go dancers, topless and all that mess. Topless demons, wouldn't that be funny? Well, I'm sorry. We got all this mess going on. All of a sudden, after three days, there's a knock at the door and some little devil goes and answers it and he comes back with a funny look on his face and tells the big guy, hey, this fella standing out here and wants to talk to you about some keys he's fixing to take away from you. You better get here and talk to him. Three days later, he found out his plan backfired. What he meant to destroy God ended up saving the entire world. You talk about a plan backfiring. Listen, first Peter says this, had the rulers known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They thought they was getting rid of their problem. It ended up, they just saved the whole world by their stupidity. I'm telling you, well, that was the biggest backfire of his miserable eternal existence. But this backfired with Simon. Because Simon's broken. He's just weeping. And uh, everybody, how many, of you, how many of you think that when people saw what happened to Simon, how many of you think they lost respect for him? Yeah. If you was to go somewhere and see me out in public somewhere cussing God and swearing I never knew him, would you lose respect for me? Yeah. Sure you would. 
Everybody thought, well, he's done. Chief apostle, he's done. Guess who else thought he was done? Simon thought it was over. Don't you remember? He went back to his old way of life. He said, it's done. I'm, God won't mess with me again. You'd be surprised that the people give up on themselves before God does. And he went back to his old way of life, went fishing. Of course, he caught nothing. If you ain't right with God, you ain't gonna never catch no fish. <laughs> and he was fishing. I didn't catch nothing. All night long, didn't catch nothing. I must need a revival. Didn't catch nothing. The next morning, they're out there fishing. He is, he is broken. He's miserable. You don't know how this man was hurting on the inside. And all of a sudden, he hears this voice. Y'all caught anything? And he looks over and there's a man standing on the shore and he don't have a clue. He said, no. And all of a sudden, he'd heard, he heard this. Throw the net on the right side. He'd heard that before. In the very beginning, he heard that before. They threw the net on the right side and caught 146 big fish. And John, who was in the boat with him, see, John gave up too. John said, that's Jesus. All right, now freeze a minute. Wait a minute. You in this boat. <laughs> Three days earlier, you just cussed him out and told everybody you didn't know him. And now he's standing on the beach. And you know good and well, that's God. Ain't no, a lot of people don't come out of the grave. What you going to do? Get down to the bottom of the boat and hide? <laughs> One of the funniest scriptures, the Bible said he put on his shirt because he didn't have his shirt on and he jumped in the water and left them all and swam to Jesus. What do we learn? When you screw up, don't run from him, run to him. This is, this is wild. He gets on the beach. They come dragging the boat up. The reason we know that Simon was a large guy was because they bought it up. They couldn't get the fish up. So the Bible said Simon had to go pull them in. So apparently he was stronger than the other guys, which we know he's a big guy. And the Bible said Jesus had fish cooking on there. And he said, bring some of those fish you caught. They're cooking. And they just sat there and ate breakfast. And there was a pregnant silence around that breakfast table that morning. <laughs> Jesus hadn't said a word yet. Just bring your fish. And they're eating. And Simon's sitting over there thinking, wonder if he remembers. <laughs> and they got done. And I want you to listen to what I'm fixing to say. You know, it, when you cuss God in public and swear you never knew him after you promised you'd die with him, that's bad. Be easy on the boy. And he said, so let me tell you what happened. That thing got done with breakfast. Jesus never mentioned it to him one time. After breakfast, he turned to Simon and he said, do you love me? Instead of, instead of like he answered three nights earlier, instead of saying, you know, I I'll be the one to die for you. You know, he dropped his head in humility and said, you know, I love you. Guess what? Job done. The cockiness and the pride and the self-confidence is gone. And now you see a humility that only you know, but I want to love you. Now we got the chaff out and we got the good stuff still standing there. The boldness, the confidence, the ability to speak and, and cleaned him out real good. All right, did Satan's plan backfire? I, it makes me want to laugh at him. Did God's plan succeed? 40 days later, who stood up and preached the greatest sermon ever preached, started the church and wrote two books in the Bible as an ignorant fisherman. Here's the point. God uses this junk. I was thinking about this the other day. I was thinking about this. What if all things work together for good to those who loved God and wanted his purpose? I don't know if that's anywhere in the Bible or not, but that just sounds good to me. You need to, you need to stake your life to Romans 8, 28. And if you love God and you want to follow him, you need to stake your life to it and say, all things in my life right now. It didn't say good things. It said all things work together for good. Actually, let me read it to you in the original language. You should read like this. God causes all things to work together for good 
over the long haul if we will love him and follow him. And did this junk in Simon's life, did it call, did God cause it to work for good? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why I love the verse. That's why I love Genesis 50, 20. What you meant for evil, God used for good to help many people today. This this is the nature of our father. He loves to do this stuff. All right. That's example number one. Let's look at example number two. You ever heard of Paul's thorn in the flesh? Let's look at it. That's 2 Corinthians 12. Thorn in the flesh. Everybody wants one of them. You know, in all my 42 years, nobody's ever prayed, said, Brother Brian, pray for me that I can have a thorn in the flesh. All right. That was how the Lord used, blessed him and used him. Used junk in his life, bad stuff, failure, and used it for good. Here's Paul's thorn in the flesh, number two. This is good. This is good here too. By the way, this is one of the most misunderstood passages in the Bible. There's no disease in here anywhere. There's no sickness. He wasn't sick. He did not have glaucoma. I hear radio preachers talking about Paul's glaucoma and they get it out of this passage. I just, I just go, where do you get this stuff from? We need to stick with what the Bible says. Don't read, don't read your opinion into the Bible. Just read what it says. All right. Paul, as you know, was the, he became the chief apostle. Peter was, the, the New Testament has two great characters in it, Simon and Paul. Simon founded the church. He was, the, he led it. Paul became the chief apostle. He wrote half the New Testament. And uh, I want you to look what happens in his life. Unusual. This unusual passage, verse, chapter 12, verse one. It is doubtless not profitable for me to brag. I'll come to visions and revelations of the Lord. Verse two, I know a man in Christ. Now he's talking about himself. Third, they spoke in the third person back then. I know a man in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know or out of the body. Verse two, I do not know. God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. What did he say? He said, I know a man. And he's speaking about himself. 14 years ago, God lifted him straight up into the very throne room of God. Now, third heaven You know, the Bible has three words for heaven. We have one word. Uh, The first heaven in the Bible refers to the atmosphere around your head. It's just the atmosphere. Because that's what Ephesians 6 says. We wrestle with principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Well, that heavenly is the first heaven. It just means around us right here. The second heaven in the Bible, when the second word for heavenly is in the Bible, is the celestial heaven, which is where the stars and the you know, the, well, even above the moon, the planets, the universe out there. That's the second heaven. But the third heaven is the very throne room of God. It's the place where God dwells. He said, there, he said I know a man 14 years ago, God brought him off the earth right up into the very throne room of God. And he said, now whether my, I was in my body or not, I do not know. So this man was the only man in world history to ever be brought to stand right before the throne of God while he was still alive and came back to tell about it. And he's standing there. Watch what he says. And, uh, Verse four, how he was caught up into paradise. Paradise is another word for the third heaven where God is at. <clears throat> and heard inexpressible words which are not lawful for a man to utter. So he heard things that he hadn't even told yet. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast except in my infirmities. Now I think that's where the people get the word, think sickness. Well, the word, the word infirmities in the Bible is not, here it doesn't mean sickness. It's the word uh, ashnalon, and it means weakness, uh, struggling, uh, impotent, powerless. He said, I'm, I'm not going to brag. I'm going to brag where I struggle. But we love to brag on our strengths. Paul said, I'm going to brag on my weaknesses. And uh, I don't want to, I'm going to speak the truth. All right, verse seven. 
lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Just stop right there. How do you think that <clears throat> if you just want the guy, now remember, this was a great saint, but he was a man just like you and me or, or woman. How many of you think that if God Almighty brought you up into the third heaven, talked to you face to face and gave you the greatest revelation in world history and then sent you back to earth, how many of you think you might have a little propensity toward thinking you're somebody? That's exactly what he said. Revelation brings exaltation. The word exaltation means pride. And he said, to keep me from getting cocky about the touch of God on my life and what God's done for me. Could you imagine him in a deacon's meeting? Excuse me, elders meeting. And you got James, you got John, you got Simon, and here's Paul. And Simon says, I, I tell you what I think we ought to do about this. And James says, no, maybe I'll do this. And Paul says, As, have any of y'all been in the face of God? Have any of y'all been to heaven yet? <laughs> One of the saddest truths is he, if he trusts us with something, we tend to get proud of it. Instead of being humble, this man said, I don't know anybody who's ever had more than this man. He said, to keep me from being a cocky snot, cocky snot's a Greek word there. <laughs> to keep me from being exalted and puffing, I mean, it literally means puffed up with pride. Look how God kept me from getting proud. He said this, verse seven, that lest I should be exalted and proud above measure by the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. So apparently this thorn, what's the purpose of this thorn? To keep the man humble. Keep him from getting cocky over what the Lord's done in him. And he said, our heavenly father, to keep me down where other where humble people live and to keep me common, he, he gave me this thing called a thorn in the flesh. The difference, the word flesh here is the word sarks. It doesn't mean this stuff right here. He, he didn't have eczema. He, flesh does not mean physical body here. Flesh is what it speaks about in the Bible, our fallen nature. You got it? Everybody, now there is a word in the Bible for flesh, like they consumed my flesh. They ate the skin off of me. But this is the word sarks that means my fallen human nature. I want you to turn with me, three pages to the right, probably Galatians chapter five. I remember old country preachers years ago talked about getting in the flesh. You ever heard that? Get in the flesh. Well, the Bible talks in Galatians five, you're either going to walk in the spirit or you're going to walk in the flesh. And you, how many of you have been in the flesh for? Since this morning. All right. To walk in the spirit means to walk in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. That's the spirit of God. But we all have, all of us have a fallen nature inside of us, even if we're saved. That's Romans chapter seven, where he says, I, I want to do good, but I don't, I don't, I do. I see a nature inside of me. There's two, there's, God is in me right now. The spirit of God's in me, but I still got a fallen nature in there. And life is a battle between the two. Galatians five says the flesh wars against the spirit. My ugly nature wars against the spirit and the spirit goes to battle against the flesh. And there's a tug of war inside of every believer between his flesh and his spirit, his fallen nature and his spirit. And of course, I've quoted Galatians 5 already. When the flesh is running your life, the fruit of the spirit, excuse me, when the spirit's in charge in your life, you're walking in the spirit, you're going to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, humility, self-control, but what about when I, I let the flesh turn loose in my life, I get in my flesh? What are you going to say? Read with me Galatians 5. All right, Galatians 5, verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident. I know when you're in the flesh. I know when I'm in the flesh. Which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. The first four of those would all go under the name of what? Lust. Because lust is not from God. Filthy lust is not from God. Now, if you lust after a woman you're married to, that's good. I didn't get a single man to amen on that. 
boys, I'm doing my best. <laughs> but this America, the Bible talks about America. It is America, but it talks about people whose eyes cannot cease from adultery. They just burn with lust. That's not God. That's your fallen nature. The works of the flesh are adultery. It's all that comes under lust, lewdness, filthiness. Let's read the rest of this wonderful list here. All right, verse 20, idolatry, which is to worship some rock singers, worship your house, worship yourself, worship anything but God's idolatry. Sorcery, I, I find it hilarious that they translated that word sorcery. We think of sorcery, what do you think of? Witchcraft. It's the Greek word pharmakia. What English word do we get out of pharmakia? Pharmacy, drugs. There's, the Holy Spirit don't want you hooked on drugs. Your flesh longs for drugs. I've heard many a testimony from guys in rehab and they say this, I ate anything that made me feel better. Well, that's the flesh. That's not God. And uh, it says hatred. How many of you know hatred is not from heaven? Any hatred in the land right now? That's the flesh. That's my fallen nature. You know what contentions means? I just want to argue with everybody. I just want to fight about everything. Jealousy, wish you got what somebody else had. Let's take this one right here. Outbursts of wrath, temper. Doing a temper is my flesh. That's not my good nature. It goes on with wonderful list. Selfish ambition, having to have my way. Dissension, which is just so divisive. You just want to divide people. Heresy, and then you got envy. Murder. How many of murder is not from heaven? All right. Anyway, that's the list of my flesh. Everybody's flesh. Now, some of you just turned your nose up. Some of you turned your nose. You said, well, I don't lust like you nasty men do. I don't care. Pick yours, sister. <laughs> flesh is flesh. I don't. We love to look down our nose at everybody else's flesh. We all got it. I'm even know we all got a fallen nature. Pick yours out of the list right there. Some of you got two. <laughs> Paul said to keep me from. Now listen. Let's go back. To keep me from being so cocky about the fact that God chose me, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And this thing's working in my flesh. Now, do not speculate what it was because it didn't tell us. But it could be his temper. It could be that this man struggled with lust. It could be his selfishness. It could be his anger. It, who knows? He didn't say. He just said, all of a sudden, there's something in me that is ugly and it's here now. And it's a thorn, a pain in my flesh. All right, now it was in, turn back around to 2 Corinthians 12, a few pages to the left. This thing, this thorn in the flesh is in collusion with somebody. Now remember, this is the whole purpose is humility. Because if the heavenly father can keep a person humble and dependent on him, the sky's the limit. It is pride that crashes us. And he said, verse seven, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Who was it given to him by? Wasn't by the devil. God gave it to him. All right, watch this. It describes it, a messenger of Satan. What is a messenger of Satan? I don't know why they translated the word messenger. The word messenger is the Greek word angelion. What is the name most used in the Bible? What is the word most used in the Bible for angelion? Angel. It was an angel of Satan. What do we call an angel of Satan? A demon spirit. A demon spirit was released in this man's life and on this man's life. And it, it, this demon spirit buffeted him and attacked him in one area in his flesh. Again, it might've been lust. It might've been greed. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say, but there's an area in his life where the devil is turned loose on him and it's working on his flesh and he can't take, and it's the whole purpose is to keep you down, keep you humble before God. And this thing's working in his life. And, and, uh, 
So if you had all of a sudden something in you and you knew that Satan had an inroad into your life and he's wearing you out in one area, how many of you would pray about it? Great idea. That prayer is a good idea anytime. All right. <clears throat> a message, watch this. A message of Satan to buffet me. No, dear one, Satan, I'd come to buffet you. The word is buffet. The word buffet literally means to beat, to attack, to harass. He said, Satan is where he is beating on me in this area in my flesh. Might be self-pity. But there's some weakness in him that this demon spirit is wearing him out on. And it's hammering him and it's buffeting. <clears throat> Again, watch this. Lest I be what? Exalted. Lest I become prideful and arrogant. I mean, it's just real hard to puff up and be arrogant when you can't control your appetites. And, you, and you, nobody knows it, but you know it. It's just real hard to be cocky when you're getting your head wore out and you're struggling in this area. You say, I know what you're thinking. Brother Brown, how do you know so much about this? <laughs> All right, verse eight. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. What did he do with this thing? He went before God in prayer and he said, please get this out of my life. Get this devil away from me. Get this thorn away from me. Help me, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. He prayed three times. Wonder if God answered him. Guess what God's answer was? Listen to me. Surely if you've got a demon spirit aggravating the hell out of you, I mean, working in your flesh, surely if you was to pray, he'd help you, wouldn't he? He said, three times I went to him in prayer about this thing. And then he said it, in verse uh, nine, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. Let me interpret that for you. No. <laughs> no, I'm not going to make him leave. I'm going to leave him right there. Ain't this the craziest thing? I may even know that some of us might struggle in our prayers. This man got his prayers answered pretty regular. I mean, you can follow him up to this point in his life. He's raising the dead. You know, God can raise the dead. That's pretty good prayer. So he's got this demon spirit just loose in his life, wearing his head out. He goes to the father and says, please take this away. And the father says, no, I'm going to leave him there. Uh, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm going to follow Jesus or not. I'm going to leave him there. And here's his answer. My grace is sufficient for you. He, he asked for deliverance, didn't he? Let me ask you a question. Was the father able to deliver him? Yes. Just like that. All God had to do was say, leave that boy alone. I mean, the power of God is on the earth. All they had to do is say, leave him alone. He said, I'm going to tell you what, rather than give you deliverance, I'm going to give you grace. You know what I'd have said? I'd rather have deliverance. But you got to remember, my goal is comfort. His goal is glory for all of us. So he, he says, my grace is sufficient. And here's the great secret. He said, that if, you're, if you've got a red letter Bible, the words are in red because this is God speaking. He said to him, my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect when you're great. No, sir. Tell me where the power of God is perfected in my life when I'm at my weakest. So that don't make a lick of sense to the way we think, but this is one of the great revelations of the Bible. God perfects his strength in me when I'm at my weakest. When I'm struggling the most, when I'm the most helpless, when I can't handle my mess, that's when he's building his greatest strength. See, so in the Americana, our thing is man up. I want to see you man up against this demon right here. Go ahead and let me watch. He'll whoop your butt with your nosebleed. <laughs> Dear, I don't care how tough you are. You ain't that tough. And he turned this thing loose in this man's life. What was God's purpose? To hurt him? To perfect strength in him. 
so he could know the power of God in his life. Boy, this is one of the greatest lessons we'll ever learn here. Let's read a little further here. Therefore, what's therefore mean? Now that he's explained it to me and he's told me he's not going to take it away, I will rather, I will most gladly, I'll boast in my infirmities. Again, the word is weaknesses. Well, I want to make an announcement. I'm getting there, but I'm not quite there yet. I'm, I'm where I can boast in my weaknesses. I've been very transparent with y'all, but I'm, the word gladly is not in there yet. What do most believers do over their weaknesses? They're so ashamed and they think God don't care about them. He's the one behind the stinking thing. Can't you see it? He said, I'm just, then most gladly, if I'm going to struggle with this thing and I'm weak in this area, I'm going to start praising God over my own weakness. I'm going to celebrate my weakness, which is something we all need to start doing. Let's read a little further. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. There it is. I know believers who want the power of God to rest on their lives. Are you willing to be made weak so it can rest there? He said, this is one of the greatest revelations in the world. I thought you had to be perfect for God to use you. He said, no, I need to make you weak so I can use you. And he said, I'm going to celebrate his goodness. I'm going I'm to carry on about it. Let me read one more. Now, I'm certainly not here yet. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I do not, but I'm headed that way. I'm trying. All right, I'm, I'm going to be real honest. I got some good stuff in me. I've got a leader personality. I've got a gift to teach the Bible. I've got, I'm, I'm like a bulldog on a stake when I get on something. Hell, hell or high water, I ain't backing off. And that, that's good. I got some weaknesses in me too. I have a little temper problem. Shock. I, I'm a little, uh, I've got a little bit of Rambo when you need more of Mr. Rogers. I don't understand people dragging their rear ends. We got to go, okay? <laughs> I, got, I got wheat and chaff in me just like you do. I am not to the place yet, but I'm getting there. What are you going to do? Tell God to change his mind? That ain't going to happen. I'm not to the place yet where I can say I take pleasure in my weaknesses. I am so proud that I'm such an idiot. I'm not to that point yet. I tell you, they don't bother me like they used to because religious training screwed me up. And you know what I found out? They was fussing at me. They was lying because they was hiding theirs. You see, you're reading my mail. No, I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> Listen to what the Bible says. We all struggle in many things. So I knew you had it to start with. And uh, he said, I, I just take pleasure. Let's read this last verse. I take pleasure, verse 10, in my infirmities, in reproaches. How many of you take pleasure in reproaches? How many of when somebody cusses you out and talks ugly about you? You are so happy. You know, reproach means to talk ugly about somebody. In needs, how many of you are just thrilled to have a need? No, we, we rejoice in our blessings, not in our needs. In persecutions. How many of you just love it when somebody stabs you in the back? I said, brother, man, I just can't believe God would let somebody stab me in the back and do this stuff to me. Read it. My, his strength is perfected in this weakness. And here's one of the greatest things you'll ever memorize out of the Bible. Last part of verse 10. When I am weak, that's when I'm the strongest. When I am weak, I am strong. Now listen, he was weak the whole time just when you admit it. I've had people come to me and say, you, you, uh, I appreciate your transparency, but you shouldn't tell a lot of things you do from the pulpit. Let me tell you something. When I am weak, he is strong. Amen. You don't need a superstar up here who's pretending to be everything, got it all together. You need one of you up here who tells you he is sufficient. 
And we need to knock it off. We need to quit telling our children we're perfect and tell them, I struggle. Daddy gets scared just like you do. Daddy struggles just like you do. Daddy thought she was pretty too and he looked the other way. Tell them. <laughs> All right. So he's got this thought and he, this is a tremendous revelation. But who's working on him? Who's working on him? Is the devil working on him or is the father working in him? Both. A messenger from Satan is hammering my head on this thing. This, this is not just my fallen nature. It's got the demonic in it now. And I'm praying, get rid of it. And he's telling me, I'm going to use this thing. All righty. This is one of the greatest truths you'll ever know. Dear ones, God's strength is perfected in weakness. I mean, when, when I'm at my weakest, that's when I'm at my strongest. Because it's his strength. Because when I'm weak, I've got to have his strength. When I'm strong, I don't need him. But when I'm weak, I need him. And uh, one of the great tragedies of being a believer, a preacher, a parent, whatever, for a long time is you get sort of cocky and think you got this thing figured out now. And then, then something has to happen to put you right back down there to day one and realize I need thee every, somebody should write a song, I need thee every hour. And listen, this crazy God that we've painted that says you better do good, that ain't the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible says you need me. You come to me, I'll help you. And the further you go, the more you need me. This, it, this thrills him. All right, his response was, I know. You know what, the, let me throw this verse in here. This man's being attacked by the enemy. The father allowed it. He put evil in his life. He brought good out of it. I was thinking about this the other day. What if all things work together for good? If we'll just love God and be, choose his purpose. Do you have to be strong? Do you have to be tough? Love God, want what he wants. That's it. And his hand will be working in your life. You say, God can't be in this mess. Oh, yes, he can. He can be in the middle of your mess. Let me take a, a moment here and... Uh, well, let's, let's do number three. We're going to do person number three because we got a little bit of time there. All right, we, we looked at uh, Joseph was the guy. Do you remember another guy in the Bible that the devil got turned loose in his life? Anybody remember? I don't even read the book of Job. I'm afraid somebody mistake me for him. I mean, he got cut loose in his life, but you got to remember the end of the last part of the book of Job's in the book of James. We see the end intended by the Lord that he is gracious and God restored his fortunes double. You see the end intended by the Lord. You got to know what he's doing in this stuff. All right, we looked at him. We looked at Simon. We, we looked at Paul. Let's look at one more person. Let's look at you in the Bible. You're saying in the Bible, well, yes, you are. Turn to Revelation chapter three. You know, up to the first 65 books of the Bible were written yesterday. Revelation's written in the future. The book of Revelation, you're in it. Now, Revelation... <clears throat> All right, Revelation. Anybody ever got any struggles or weaknesses or things you struggle with? Yeah. All right, well, good. The four of us needed this then. Is, uh, anybody ever just had the powers of hell attack you? All right, let's look at it. This is, uh, I love Revelation chapter three. Now, before we read this, you got to remember, this is written to Christians. Chapter, chapter three, verse 14 says, <clears throat> to the angel of the church. So Jesus is writing to his people. That's why it's in red. Now I want you to read two verses with me, verse 17 and 18. Because you say, or you think of yourself, I am rich, I'm wealthy, and I don't need nothing. What does that sound like to you? You hear pride in that. This is what you say. Now watch this. 
and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What's the main word in there? Poor. All right. Now watch verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. I want you to watch these words. Verse 17 has the word rich in it. Verse 17 has the word poor in it. Verse 18 has the word rich in it. Do we have a difference of opinion here? Absolutely. And he's talking to believers. Now, don't you notice, I don't you know what he said. He said this, you say you're rich. You say you got it all together. You say you do. You say, I've been a Christian 50 years. I really got this thing figured out. You're really proud of yourself, ain't you? But Jesus said, I say you're poor. Now they were saved, but there was poor there. And then verse 18, let me make an announcement here. God wants everybody to be rich. Read it again. I counseled you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you might be rich. He said, you're poor now, but I want you to be rich. So you got saved, but broke. All right, dear ones, can you see the difference of opinion here? And then can you see, but Jesus, he's not mad about it. He brought down further. He said, as many as I love, I talk to you like this. Then Jesus loves you, he'll talk to you like this. As many as I love, I talk to you like this. He said it a little bit later. But he wants everybody to be rich, all right? Even though we're poor, he wants us to be rich. All right, here's a question. I'm, I'm really, truly, I'm not as hot as I think I am apart from Jesus. Okay, but he wants me to be rich. Here's the question. How does he get me there? How does he get me there? Read with me again, verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Tell me in verse 18, what does God use to make a believer really rich in the things that matter. Do you see it in there? So, fire. How many of you love fire? How many of you love to be in the fire? Anybody here ever been in the fire? All right, what, what, is he, what particular fire is this? How does he get this? It's called the refiner's fire. Isn't that what he said? I want you, where does gold come from? According to him. What is, you know, it doesn't mean literal cash money here. It means the really valuable stuff. Jesus said, if you want the really valuable stuff, I want you to have it. But where does it come from? The refiner's fire. The way you get rich is to be refined in the fire. When Jesus got done letting Simon be sifted, was he really rich in the things that matter? When he got done with with Paul, was he really rich in the things that matter? There was how much money you got, the house you live in, that doesn't mean squat, all that mess is going to burn. It's the big stuff. It's the real expensive stuff. It's the good stuff, but it comes by the refiner's fire. Let me explain. You know what a refiner's fire? I want you to read that. Look at that verse again. Jesus said, I want you to come to my Bible study so you can be rich. (laughs) We think studying the Bible is what makes you rich. You don't get great in the kingdom by studying the Bible. There's nothing wrong with studying the Bible. Guess what we're doing tonight? Where does greatness in the kingdom come from? The refiner's fire. You'll see why I'm laughing about this in a minute. Well, I enjoy this so much. All right, the, the refiner's fire in the Bible. Tell me what the refiner's fire does. All right, you, you go out and you dig the gold ore out of the ground, silver, it don't matter, whatever, you dig it out and you got valuable stuff in there, but you got junk in there too, dirt. Got it? Isn't that all of us? Don't we have the valuable stuff in us and the junk too? All right, the, the smelter, he takes that ore. It's called ore when it comes out. It doesn't matter what it is, silver, copper, we're talking about gold here. He takes it out. How does he separate the junk from the truly valuable stuff? He puts it in a fire. It's called the refine. To refine means to purify. He puts it in a refiner's fire. I visited a plant one day down in Monroe, North Carolina. I can't remember. Tell down all that. 
And yeah, anybody got the, well, I'm not going to ask you, don't, don't say yes. But people get artificial joints, artificial hip joints and stuff. Well, that's where they make them at. And they take regular steel and the way, that, the way they make it capable of being an artificial joint is they put it through fire, hotter fire, hotter fire. And the guy walked me through the place. He said, this is 5,200 degrees. I said, but I ain't going to hell. And they take that thing and they put it in the fire and they cool it, put it in a hotter fire, cool it, put it in a hotter fire. Well, that makes it stronger and stronger and stronger. That's called the refiner's fire. And the, if the smelter, he puts it in a pot. In the old day, they put it in a pot, they put the fire under it and he'll look in it and the gold will stay on the bottom and the garbage will rise to the top and then he skims the junk off. That's called the refiner's fire. Jesus is painting a picture here, isn't he? He said, I want you to be rich and I'm gonna use the refiner's fire to do it. And here's how we're going to do this. He uses the refiner's fire in our lives. And uh, let me, listen, the fire separates the gold from the garbage. All right, we all got gold in us. We've covered that. How many of us have got garbage in us that needed to be worked on? Or if you, if you don't, at least somebody in this room, you know, probably does. All right. I know you think, I wish my mom-in-law was here tonight. I right, we'll work on that. All right, here's the question. Here's the question. What is the fire? When he says, the ref I want you to come to me and get this stuff refined in the fire. What is the fire? I'm going to give you some things that the fire is from the Bible in people's lives that he used. Here's some things that are the fire. We think it's the devil. What did Jesus say? I want, from me. Would he let this mess happen in my life? All right, here's some things from the scriptures. The refiner's fire. Number one, problems. Anybody ever had any problems? See, we get mad when problems come up. How do you know the problems aren't God refining you? Listen, problems will do in your life what a Bible study can never do. Amen. Disappointments. That was the story of Joseph's life. He was supposed to rule and he ends up in prison. Disappointments. Anybody ever been disappointed in anything? How do you know the disappointment wasn't from God to do something in you? Let me give you another one. Personal attacks. I think the number one refiner's fire in the Bible was for people to attack you personally. Joseph, was Paul attacked personally? Was Jesus attacked? Now listen, even Satan was behind the attacks. Who's using them for good? Person to be stabbed. How many of you love to be stabbed in the back? How many of you love people to lie about you? See, you know what that stuff does? That is the refiner's fire. Because man, when you lied about me, when I first got saved, I'd jerk your butt up out of the chair so fast. I'm honestly at the point where I can just smile and say, bless you. The refiner's fire. You said, man, you're mature. Oh no, you get thrown in that fire about 9, 11 times like I have for long. You just go, well, it don't matter to me. Start celebrating. The refine. this is the junk in our lives. Personal failures. Anybody ever failed before at anything? Don't get down on yourself. That's the refiner's fire. Didn't Simon fail? Was that not the fire that made him the great man that he was? See, we, we want somebody, please lay your hands on me. Oh, oh good luck, Jack. I want to go to a Bible study to be prayed for. I want you to have gold refined in the fire. There's only one way to get the great stuff. The fire's coming. You just got to say yes to fire. Let me give you a couple more from scripture. Insurmountable, insurmountable obstacles. You, you want something so bad. Maybe it's an education. Maybe you want your family to, there's something you want so bad and there's a roadblock and you cannot move it. And that hacks you off. How many of you know the king didn't put it right there? He might've just said it right there. And this, it's the struggle in life with this stuff. <clears throat> Let me give you a picture in nature that God painted of this. 
You, you ever, butterflies are an amazement to me. I just look at a butterfly and I think the king done got his paint set out. He painted every color on that butterfly. All right, where do butterflies come from? They come off the butterfly tree. That's what we got one in our yard. No, butterflies are ugly as sin in, in that chrysalis, in that little bucket they come in or whatever, a little sack they come in. And, uh, you know, my wife does an experiment with the kindergartners. They'll put them in there and they'll wait for the butterflies to hatch and the kids can see it. They see the miracle of God in nature there. Well, a little fella got one one time and uh, he, he couldn't wait. So he took his uh, Boy Scout knife and he cut it open and opened it up and it died. And he was upset and his mama said, honey, it's fighting. It's fighting against that thing to get out of it that gives it the strength to live. You made life too easy on him and it killed him. Well, that, that's a picture in nature of the refiner's fire. Some of the things we have to fight in life, we're so mad about it. And he's just going, they're doing good, Gabriel. They're doing good so I could do them. The struggles we have. This, listen, this is the, refi- the great stuff doesn't come from education. Nothing wrong with education. The great stuff comes from going through the fire. When you see people been married 60 years and they're in love with each other, I promise you it ain't because they listen to Motown music. <laughs> They've been through some fires in 60 years. And I'll tell you, they love each other like I, those just got married last week have no idea. It is the fire that our king uses to make things great. The potter uses it. The smelter uses it. <clears throat> How about let me, one of the major ones in the Bible? Betrayal. I do is betrayal will, betrayal is a refiner's fire. I could go on with the list. These are all from scriptures. <clears throat> now listen, the junk in my life, is it always from Satan? Sometimes it is. And like my blood brother, Paul, you've got to learn the difference through prayer by, is this Satan just attacking me? Am I supposed to resist it? Or is the hand of God in this mess? Paul said, Satan's after me. He said, I went and prayed and he told me, no, I'm in this. I'm using this in your life. He said, well, when I found that out, I quit resisting the devil and started praising God. Proud of it, glad of it. But I want you to to read verse 18 with me again. I counsel you to buy, what's the two words? From me, gold refined in the fire. I'm working in your life in the hard places. I'm working in your life. Listen to me. When you get in the fire, do not cut and run. Because unlike the public school system, sometimes you don't get to go to fourth grade until you pass third grade. In the king's economy, you don't get to go to fourth grade with him until you pass the third grade. So if you cut and run, next time you come, he's going to say, send him back third grade, start all over again. Your mom and law is going to move right back in. <laughs> Your boss is going to get even uglier. All righty. Now, let me teach you the difference. Satan brings fire into our lives to destroy. God brings fire into our lives to bring greatness, to perfect that's John 10, 10 is the simplicity of it. Let me give you a, a great promise in this. James chapter one. Turn with me to James chapter one here. I want you to get to this place in life. James chapter one. We spend most of our time trying to make life easy and get out of trouble and not have problems. That's us. Our goal needs to be his goal. Quit making comfort your goal in life. Make greatness your goal in life. Quit making comfort what drives you let maturity be what you're after. Let greatness. James chapter one. I want you to read three great verses. Memorize these and sing about them. <clears throat> My brethren, count it all joy. How many of you know we should count it all joy? Well, read the rest of it. When you fall into various trials. Now trial means testing, assault, problems, difficulties, whatever it is. What does the Bible tell me to do when junk comes into my life? 
start hollering. Count it all joy when you, you say, brother man, you've lost your mind. You're an idiot. You, you belong in the nut ward. Now, wait a minute. The next verse explains why. What's the first word in verse three? Knowing, knowing, knowing something that the testing of your faith produces something. It produces <clears throat> patience. Now, patience is a pathetic word because we think of patience. We think of standing in line at Walmart, not even close. Patience is a minor, that word should be interpreted endurance, toughness, steadfastness, faithfulness. I don't run when the kitchen gets hot. I can take it. That's what that word means. Patience, that's when you're waiting on your wife to hurry up and get in the car. I ain't, you ought to be able to do that without God, my goodness. <laughs> but let patience, verse four, have its perfect, perfecting work that you might be what? Perfect, complete. You got everything God's got. How do you reach a point where you're perfect? You got everything God's got. How do you do it? Trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing this is good for me. What's the hardest training in America for any human beings? You might know. It's in the military. What's, what branch of the military? Not the Coast Guard. They fish. I'm going to be in the Coast Guard and fish. Navy SEALs. Hardest training in the world. No human being goes through what they go through. You have to be a trained warrior you have to be uh, a special ops to even apply for SEAL school. SEAL school lasts six weeks. It's in San Diego. You go to SEAL school and uh, you need to read sometime, make your bed. It's the book written by the head of the Navy SEALs about what you have to go through. I read that book and I said, no human being could take that. They go through stuff you cannot imagine. They punish them boys physically. And then you reach the la- you've done five weeks, the last week. Somebody know what the last week's called? Hell week. I thought hell's a little mild for what they call it. <laughs> and you, you have not one moment to sit down. You don't re- you're not allowed to sleep for seven days. And I mean, you, they push you. You do exercises. They'll run you out. And by the water's cold in San Diego Bay. They'll tell you, all six of you get in the water, swim two miles to that ship, go 50 feet underneath it, attach mock explosives to it, come back up, and then swim back over here. And when you get there, they want you to do calisthenics on the beach. They persecute you all week long. I mean, it's terrible. And the last, usually the last thing that happens, you don't know it because your mind's so crazy. You don't even know where you're at or what you're doing by the time you've been seven days without sleep doing this. And the guy said, we got out of the water from that. And they said, now all, I think there was 12 of them, said lock arms and back out into the ocean, waist high. So they locked arms. They back out in the ocean, 12 of them locked arms, waves high cold waves crashing over them and uh, the uh, DI he said you're going to stay there till somebody quits stay there till somebody quits and you standing out there in pain you've never known wore out and, and the DI's up here about 40 feet on the beach they got a fire going they're sitting in chairs around the fire drinking coffee and eating chocolate cookies and there's an empty chair and they're telling you, whoever wants to come sit down. But if you come sit down, you had the program. And they're taunting you saying, who's going to quit first? Eating them cookies. Mm, these cookies sure are good, aren't they, sir? Best cookies I ever had, just like my mom used to make. And you out there suffering miserably. And they'll keep you out there till somebody breaks. And then all of a sudden, the one that I read a story said, we crawled out and I thought, I can't take this no more. And he reached down, shook my hand and said, congratulations. I thought he's messing with my mind now. I didn't realize we were done. We were in. It's the most difficult training any human goes through in the world. All right, let me ask you a question. Why does my government do that to them good boys? It's because they hate their guts. 
because they're trying to kill them. No, no, no. Why do they do that? Let me tell you why they do that, that special group of men. And I saw first time two weeks ago ever a girl made it through. I started to say, I'd like to meet her. I would not like to meet her. <laughs> Don't be hitting on that chick, buddy. <laughs> why do they do that? Because there are some evil, evil forces in this earth. And when those evil forces like the Taliban, people like that, they kidnap a young 17-year-old girl and do unspeakable things to her. You don't send some dude who sits on his fanny in a cubicle eating donuts to get her out of there. You got to have men that are that well-trained to go get her out of there. And that's what they're trained for. They're trained to be the elite rescuers in the earth. And, uh, you know, I thought at one time I might like to be, when I was young, I might like to be a Navy SEAL. I decided to be a preacher after I found out what's in that thing right there. Is that not James 1 through 4, 2 through 4? Count it all joy when garbage comes in your life because you know something. God's in this. He's using this man. This hateful boss that I got, I got transferred and this hateful boss is over me now. Oh God, give me a candy cane boss. No. Start celebrating that evil thing that's over you. What you listen, what did you say? You know this is doing something in me. I got to tell you this. I had a fellow years ago came to work with me and I'm, I'm, I'm rough on the people I work with. Oh, they're not going to say amen because they know I'm sitting in here. I'm in here. He came to work with me and he, he was a good guy. I saw the good end, but he was a candy cane. He was lazy. He, he was just, he was a candy cane. And uh, so I decided I'm going to help him. I went to work on him and after about three years, he told me, he said, man, first six months I was here, I hated your guts. He said, I just hated you and the way you treated me. I just smiled. And uh, that's been 20 some years ago. He ended up being a pastor, he ended up starting another me. He's done a great job. He told me later, he said, I'd have never amounted to nothing if you'd have treated me like everybody else had. He said, you putting a fire on me and pressing me like that's the best thing ever happened to me. This is a brand new way of thinking compared to American Christianity. Temperature just right for y'all? Them seats comfortable enough for y'all? That's American Christianity has become candy land. Donuts in the lobby. <laughs> Coffee in your chair. Good God Almighty, no wonder we got such candy canes in the land. I shouldn't have said that. Take that off the thing there. I'm going to go back and quote the word therefore. When I understand what's going on in my life and the garbage in my life, I'm going to quit whining. Therefore, when my beloved brother Paul said in the segment, therefore, I will rejoice in my weaknesses. I will boast in my weaknesses. I will celebrate the garbage in my life and say, thy will be done and praise you and raise my head up and say, I ain't quitting now. You've got to know something. Let me tell you, I'm going to quote some things you got to know. You have to know that all things are working together for good in your life because you love him. I'm telling you, they are. You got to know all things are working together for good. You got to know that he takes that which somebody meant for evil against you and he will use it for good to help many people. You've got to know that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day Jesus gets back on this earth. Amen. See, we love Bible studies. We love people to lay their hands on us and pray for us. He got a better way to do it, buddy. And you've got to know that, uh, I love this verse, God is working in you to will and work for his good pleasure. He's in this stuff. He's in the garbage. He's in the junk. He's in the pain. And uh, one of these days, you remember my blood brother Paul, he said, get me out of here. And the father explained to him what was going on. He said, leave me in here then. I want to finish by quoting one of the greatest verses in the Bible. First Corinthians 13, 12 says this. 
Now we see partially. We don't know very much, but one day, one day we will see everything clearly. You got to remember, I'm blundering through life like a blind man feeling along, bumping into stuff, wondering what's going on out here. One of these days I'm going to look back and I'm going to see that was him the whole time. He was in that hateful boss. He was in that mess I was going through. He was in that teenager. God was in that mess the whole time. I want to tell you a story for a close. One of the greatest things he ever taught me about life. And I want you to apply that and make it. Listen, anytime I tell a story like this, make sure it's scriptural. Because he told me, the spirit of God told me this, showed it to me. I want you to make sure anything I say, anything, check the scriptures to make sure it's scriptural. We're having a little problem with that in our land. In uh, early Indian culture in our nation, the early days, uh, every little young boy aspired to be a what? Brave. He wanted to be a brave. And then he could go with the men. He could go on hunting trips with them. But every young teenage boy wanted to be a brave. And uh, it wasn't automatic with them. You had to prove yourself. You had to be able to ride horses well, stuff like that. You had to be able to shoot straight. And one of the tests to be a brave, when a young boy got a certain age, young man got a certain age, he would be led uh, out in the woods, way deep in the woods by his dad, and he would be blindfolded. And he had to sit there overnight in the woods all night long, and he had to stay there. He said, ain't no big deal. Try it. Blindfolded. And so this young fellow walked, walked out there one day. His daddy took him out there, 13 years old, set him on a stump or a log or whatever, blindfolded him, and he heard his daddy's steps walk off. He said, I can do this because I'm, I'm going to be this because there's a reason they call them braves. I'm going to be brave. And he sat there and it got dark. He could tell it was dark. And all of a sudden, the, I don't know if you've spent much time in the woods. When the sun goes down, the woods come alive. And he heard sounds in the woods. He heard things walking around. And he wondered, is that a raccoon going by me? Or is that a dangerous animal staring at me? That rustling right there, is that a squirrel going by? Or is that that rattlesnake coming? All all night long, he sat there listening to the sounds. And boy, he was scared spitless. But brave doesn't mean you're not scared. It means you stick when you are scared. He sat there all night. And finally, finally, he started sensing the sun come up. He went, and he was so thankful he'd done it. And uh, he knew that when you, when you sense the sun come up, take your blindfold off, walk back home, pulled the blindfold off to find his daddy was sitting in front of him all night long. Why? To protect him. And I thought, why didn't you tell him you were there? The father had a purpose in it, didn't he? All right. Is that scriptural? He spoke to me one day and he said, uh, you're going through the, you think mess is going on in your life. <clears throat> I will fear no evil because thou art with me. One of these days when this blindfold we're living in, this partial sight we're in right now, we're going to see things clearly. We're going to see he was right there the whole time. He was right there taking care of me the entire time. And I, listen, go ahead and believe his word now. Just go ahead and take his word for it now. When the mess goes on in your life and the garbage goes on in your life, just say, well, I just say, praise God. Praise God. You're, I don't have to be loud. You're right here. He's on stage with me tonight. And listen, I guarantee you, I would lay down my life for I'd let something hurt my son. You would too. He did lay down his life to keep something from hurting his children. And I promise you, when the garbage comes in your life, next time something flies loose and you're shocked by something, just say, praise God, we're doing great, mama. Everything's wonderful. 
I'm convinced that you really take the club out of the devil's hand when they ain't nothing can happen to keep you from praising God and just celebrating and having a grand time. All right, Lord Jesus, we want to praise you and thank you for your kindness. I want these people to know how close you are. I want them to know that you're in every detail. You have numbered every hair on their head. You said that because you're that close. Not a sparrow falls to the ground apart from your eye. We struggle with life and wonder, why is this going on? Why am I like this? What's this depression mess? I'm a Christian. Why am I depressed? What are these fears? Where are they from? What are these doubts? Why do these people treat me like this? We struggle with all this junk. When the truth is, down the road, we're going to look back and say, he was in that fire. You were there. And we're going to see gold come out of the fire. I declare in the precious name of Jesus, every person in this room, everybody listening tonight, gold will come out of this fire. Your hand's in it. And I give you the praise and glory. You, you're the greatest in the world. I'll never figure you out, but I'll never stop worshiping you. I'll never understand what's going on. I don't have to anymore. I believe your word. And when I can't trace your hand, I will trust your father's heart. Thank you for being that good. Thank you for the word of God that gives us understanding into life on this crazy planet. And just my humble opinion, I sure do wish you'd hurry up and come back. We'd have a grand time as soon as you show up. I won't have one either way, but I look forward to seeing you. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.